When we first met Job, he was on top of the world. His life was filled with honor, wealth, and influence. But all that quickly changed. So what's Job's real problem? Well, last week, our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, told us Job had a bad case of perpendicular ietis. What exactly is that? We'll find out more today on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and we begin in chapter 29, where Job continues to reply to the bad advice his friends are giving him. And while you find your place in God's Word, I want to share a couple of letters that we've received from our fellow passengers on the Bible bus. First, we've got an email. This one's from Tony in Almsville, Oregon. I've listened to Dr. McGee since I was a young mother. I found the program on the radio while going to work. I became instantly hooked. That was 28 years ago. And I still listen every morning now through the app. I live on a farm and get up at 4.45 a.m. So I listen to Dr. McGee before feeding the animals and then leaving for work. Sometimes when I have a tough day and my mind is racing, I turn on Dr. McGee and go to sleep listening to God's word. One of my favorite sayings by Dr. McGee is, I might be a square, but at least I know where my corners are. I became a believer in Christ 28 years ago and have been serving at my church ever since. I lived a very sinful life prior to being saved and am thankful every day that God is merciful. I love him with all my heart and can't wait to see Jesus someday and worship him through all eternity. You know who is the second person I want to see after Jesus? Yep, Dr. McGee. Well, thanks, Tony. It's great to hear from you. Next, we've got an email from Juan in Texas. I have been praying using 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 and 2 as a foundation for my prayers, Juan says. I was delighted to find out that through the Bible also uses God's word to pray. I have joined up with the world prayer team. It is wonderful to be praying for God's work around the world. Thank you for this opportunity. Well, thanks, Juan. It's a pleasure to pray with you as well. Another prayer team member, Shirley, writes this. Through your daily emails, I am more aware of the needs of taking the whole word to the whole world. Now I include producers and translators in my prayers for the country we are visiting. I also include all support staff. Before, I just prayed for the lost. Now that seems too little. I look forward to each email and pray with the hope of Jesus for each one. Well, thanks, Shirley, and keep up those prayers. We're seeing God move in incredible ways, aren't we? Well, our world prayer team's going places. Would you like to join me and Juan and Shirley and thousands of other Through the Bible listeners as we travel on our knees asking God to reach the whole world with his whole word? Well, you can sign up today by going to ttb.org forward slash pray. Now let's pray for our study together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Job. Would you teach us of the condition of our own hearts? Help us to confess our sin so that we can have fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's Job 29 and 30 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now as we come to this study that we have in the book of Job, it is in this section where Job, as we have seen, is having his last discourse. Zophar did not answer the third time around. The others had answered three times. And Job now is making his eighth speech. He sees Zophar will not answer. So Job just continues right on talking. And we had in this section here, it's an extended section. It's his longest speech. And his friends definitely have not helped him. And in this section, he expresses his faith in God, the Creator, And Job does not break under the attack of his miserable 
comforters, as he calls them. And then in chapter 28, last time, we saw that beautiful poem about God as creator and his creation. It's a lovely thing. Now, in chapter 29, we find out what the secret sin of Job is. And Job confesses it here, but he doesn't give it to us in the form of a confession. It's really his boasting. He's actually suffering here from a bad case of perpendicular aetis. He's filled with pride. And if you want to know what the name of the disease is, it's eye trouble. A lot of us have that trouble, by the way. He is just talking about eye, eye. He has eyeetis. And this is the hub of the wheel of life for all of us, of course. And everything is a spoke that goes out from us. But we see no brokenness of spirit. There's no broken and contrite heart here on the part of Job. No admission, no confession, no feeling of failure. His friends did not help him. They failed, and they didn't know Job, and they didn't know themselves, and they certainly didn't know God. They believed that God only sent trouble as punishment, and Job was just holding out. And they roughed him up. They were miserable comforters. Their method was different. If I may sum up, Eliphaz was the voice of experience. He uses what would be called today the psychological approach. And this is the approach that is known as the power of positive thinking today. You adopt a cheerful attitude. And then there is Bildad, and he's a traditionalist, And he uses the philosophical approach. That would be the approach of several of our seminaries today. They use the philosophical approach. But that doesn't help anybody. And then Zophar, it was a religious dogmatist. And he thought he knew all about God. And he sounds like some of us fundamentalists. We're all here, but the thing is... None was able to help this man. Now, we need to recognize this, and I want to say this on Job's behalf as we get into this chapter. We're told that this man was a perfect man according to the standard that God had set up, which was sacrifice. And Job had brought a sacrifice to God. We saw a little chink in his armor, though at the very beginning... He offered sacrifices for his sons and daughters. He thought they had sinned. But what about Job? He didn't apparently think he needed one, you see. And we find him that kind of a man. And we find that he's a man that had a great deal, a very wealthy man. He had all that it takes to make this life agreeable. And he had what it took to make him important in the world. And then we're told some of the things that he did. He was a religious man. He feared God. He had a concern for his children. And he didn't put up a false front. You could weigh him on the scales of God's throne. And Job was not a hypocrite. We can say that the insinuation of his friends was based 
And lo, he was a genuine saint of God, a quickened soul, a child of God. And the earthly cup of bliss was full and running over. Now, why should this man suffer? Actually, the suffering is incidental, but Job would never have told you that. It's just about as important a suffering as the fish is in the book of Jonah. The problem was with Jonah and Jehovah. The problem here is with this man Job and God, and Job and Jehovah again. Even Satan, his enemy here, is secondary. Now, the real problem was Job. He did not know himself. He did not know God. And he certainly didn't know himself here at all. Socrates put it like this, Gnosko emu. That means know yourself. Know myself. That's important. And this man here, he didn't think that he needed a sacrifice. His children did. And he was self-righteous, self-sufficient. And he received all kinds of compliments. And there was a little of the self-adulation and spiritual egotism that you see in this man's life. But now, God's going to begin to work on him. Now, you can just say of chapter 29, this is your life, Job. Here it is. And he's going to tell us about himself. And he begins to review it. Now, will you listen? Chapter 29, beginning at verse 1. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. He starts off as being outstanding. He's all about me. This is very interesting. It goes like that little poem. I can't put my hand on it right now that I have. I gave a little tea party and there were only three present, and it was me, myself, and I. (laughs) I want to tell you, that's the kind of tea party that he's given here. Now he goes back to the good old days. Things are not like they were in the good old days, he says. He goes on in verse 3 and says, When his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, Those were the good old days when Job had it going good for him. Now he says here in verse 4, will you listen to him? As I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. Here's a man that served God. And here was a man that from his youth he served God. He was just all right, by the way. And he goes on to tell us in verse 5, When the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, and when I washed my steps with butter, and the rock poured me out rivers of oil, he was prosperous. Everything he touched turned to gold. When I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, The young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. I tell you, those were the good old days. He's not only prosperous, but he was a man of influence. The young kids had run from him. He was a great man. And not only that, the aged man 
When they saw him coming, they all stood up, took their hat off, bowed to him. He was that kind of a man. And the princes, verse 9, the princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. In other words, when I came up, anybody's talking, they quit talking. They waited for me to say something, you see. Verse 10, the nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. Why, even the nobility, they listened to him and they're not about to talk in his presence unless he asks them to. Now, not only that, listen to this. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. That's verse 11. In other words, he was voted the most valuable citizen by the civic clubs of us in Chaldea. He was the outstanding citizen of the town. Verse 12, now notice, because I delivered the poor that cried. He provided pensions for the aged. He helped the poor and also the fatherless. He was for orphans' homes and him that had none to help him. He surely went into social service. He believed in helping your fellow man. That's what Job did. And he's boasting of it here. My, he's outstanding. A man that's like this, friend, just doesn't need a Savior. He's already good enough. That is according to himself. Now, will you notice he goes on here. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me. Why? Well, he took care of it. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. He took care of the widows. My, this man was thoughtful, was he not? He's outstanding. Now listen to him here. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. In other words, he was adorned with good works. He was filled with good works. And my judgment was as a robe and a diadem. People came to him for advice on any subject. He was outstanding. Now listen to him, verse 15. I was eyes to the blind, and feet was I to the lame. He was chairman of the board at the blind school, and he was a benefactor of the crippled children's home. Now, my friend, this man Job's outstanding, and I don't mean to take anything from him. He's outstanding. We need citizens like this. Now, notice this, verse 16. I was a father to the poor, and the cause which I knew not I searched out. And he never gave to anything unless he investigated it and saw it was a good thing to give to. And that's something that a lot of the believers don't do today. Now, this man here only supported that which he felt was a worthy cause. Now, listen to him in verse 17. And I broke the jaws of the wicked, and I plucked the spoil out of his teeth. Now, he was on the committee of the mayor for civic righteousness. He believed in law and order. And I tell you, he was influential enough to bring it to pass. I say to you that this man Job is an outstanding man. Now we'll listen, verse 18. Then I said, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. This man here said, why, I've got it made. I've got everything I want for retirement. I'm going to die in my nest. 
and I'll multiply my days as the sand. I'm going to live to a ripe old age. I tell you, he certainly thought he had it made. And now listen to him. He says, My root was spread out by the waters, and the dew lay all night upon my branch and my family tree. I tell you, it was outstanding. Verse 20, listen to him. My glory was fresh in me, and my bow was renewed in my hand. He had good health. That's a wonderful asset. Now he goes on here, verse 21. Unto me man gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. In other words, all the groups sought out his advice. They telephoned him before they'd make a decision because they said, this man Job is outstanding. And not only that, after my words, they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon me. Why, the governor of the state called him, and the Supreme Court, before they rendered a decision, wanted to talk it over with him. My, I tell you, this man Job was outstanding, was he not? And he says here, verse 22, And my words they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them. In other words, he didn't have to say it, but one time they were listening. Verse 23, And they waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. In other words, they just would hang on every word that this man gave. And listen to him, verse 24, If I laughed on them, they believed it not. And the light of my countenance they cast not down. They just wanted to do him a favor. Everybody wanted to be in his good graces. And now he concludes all of this I talk. There's been a whole lot of I here. Fifty-two times now. Verse 25. I chose out their way and sat chief. And I dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforteth the mourners. In other words, Job was the top man on the totem pole of life. He dwelt in honor, affluence, and influence. He was a plutocrat, a tycoon. He was an ideal man, the goal toward which humanity is striving today. He lived the good life. He knew what abundant living was. He lived in a place of affluence. But Job lived in a fool's paradise. It was a world of make-believe. It was holly sham, smug complacently. He was in a Cinderella world. When the clock would strike midnight and his chariot would turn to a pumpkin, he had false security, and he was an Alice in Wonderland. And then an atomic bomb fell on his nest, but he told us, you remember back in the third chapter, that which I dreaded happened to me. He felt that all of this material substance could be wiped out and taken from him in a moment. It was, and he had nothing to fall back on. And even his friends didn't cushion his fall at all. In fact, they made him fall with a terrible, terrible, resounding blow. And this man here, he's been putting on his own self-righteousness, Listen to him. Verse 14 again. I put on righteousness. It clothed me. Man, he could just put on his self-righteousness. Do you know anybody like that? And in this chapter now, 52 times, 
He's got eye trouble. Fifty-two times. I, 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 me, me, me. He has aidas. This man, no broken and contrite spirit. No admission. No confession. No feeling of failure. And that is the condition of him. Now listen to him as you move to chapter 30. He's still having eye trouble. But now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to have set with the dogs of my flock. He said, that's the way it used to be. But now, why, he said, these young scoundrels come around, throw rocks at me. They have no use for me. And he says, why, the fathers of these kids, I wouldn't have even hired them to watch over my flocks. Verse 2 Yea, whereto might the strength of their hands profit me, in whom old age was perished. For want and famine, they were solitary. Now he begins to tell about his present condition. Listen to him, and I'll drop down now and hit high points in this chapter. Verse 9, And now am I their song, yea, I am their byword. In other words, they are making up now dirty little ditties about him and they ridicule him in song. And he says, they abhor me. They flee far from me and spare not the spit in my face. Because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me, they have also let loose the bridle before me. Upon my right hand rise the youth. They push away my feet and they raise up against me the ways of their destruction. He knew what it was to have a protest movement led by the college group against him. This poor man Job is in a bad way. Now he describes his condition. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of listening to him boasting, and now he's courting sympathy. He's playing upon the sympathy of it. He said, look at me now. Look at the condition. I was such a great fellow. And who's to blame, by the way, friends? What God's to blame? Oh, there are a lot of Christians in that same position today, blaming God, really. And they can do it in a very pious way. They can say, oh, I had all these things. I did that, but look at me now. Well, had it ever occurred that the things happen to you not because God's not good, because God's good, <laughs> but that there might be something God is doing in your life. And so this man finally, in verse 31, he says this, My harp also is turned to mourning, and my organ into the voice of them that weep. Now his harp was his singing voice. He says, I can't sing anything now but the desert blues. And he's playing the blues now. And my organ, that's his talking voice. He says, all I can do is weep. He says, i got a tear in my voice all the time. That's my condition right now. And he's really playing upon our sympathy. And I sympathize with him. But I think he's got a bad case of eye trouble, friends. There's no brokenness of spirit here. Actually, God has been put at a great disadvantage in this man's life here. All of this reveals the fact that he's a proud man. He justified himself instead of justifying God. And we're going to talk about that. What can we say in one word? What is the problem of Joe? 
Well, that's the same thing that actually caused Satan to fall. It was in the Garden of Eden. Pride. Pride. Oh, that awful thing that today eats like a cancer in a human heart, and it's there in the lives of all of us. That awful thing called pride. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. that was a humbling study. We'll find out God's prescription for a prideful heart as our journey through Job continues. Let's read through Job 31 for next time. If you'd like to join us as we read God's Word before each study, we offer a free bookmark that outlines the schedule that you can follow. You can download your copy at ttb.org forward slash bookmark or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE to get one in the mail automatically with our newsletter. That's what I do. And if you'd like to share this message with a family member or friend, it's available anytime at ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here next time, of course, saving a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Our story on the Bible Bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?